This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. So in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7 and 8, it says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaves shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. So when you see here we have this tree planted by the water, it gives us a few different descriptions. And I want to look at that a couple of verses ahead of time. We have the opposite to kind of give us a little bit of a contrast. If you look back in verse 5 and 6, it says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, and who makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord, for, when he, shall, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. So you can see you have this comparison here. You have the tree planted by the water. It's lush and green. It produces a lot of good fruits as it spreads out her roots. When you talk about it spreads out her roots, when you think about a plant or a tree that, that has a good root system, it means they're soaking up a lot of nourishment. So it spreads out her roots. It's getting a lot of nourishment. It says it shall not see heat coming. When you look at that, that word see, it actually means fear. It doesn't fear when the heat comes because it knows it has plenty of good nourishment. Its leaves are green. It looks good. It feels good. And what we're talking about here is spiritually. It also says it's not careful in the year of drought, meaning that word careful is anxious, that it doesn't worry about the things that it can't, can't control, that it has this nourishment and knows it's constantly going to be fed so it doesn't have to worry about things that are out of its control and neither ceases from yielding fruit. It's always going to be a blessing for others and beneficial for the kingdom of God. Now that's the tree planted by the water and the main thing that we see with that is it says, blessed are the man who trusts in the Lord. So the tree planted by the water is those men, it's us Christians who put our trust in the Lord. Now the opposite of that is the shrub in the desert. That's the person who puts his trust in man. And putting your trust in man, sometimes that means putting trust in yourself instead of putting trust in the Lord. Now we can see you have the shrub in the desert. You know that it's not getting good nourishment, that it's withering away. It doesn't have anything to protect it. So we have this contrast here. <clears throat> so when we look at that, doesn't it sound great to be nourished? Don't we all want to be that tree planted by the water? We're constantly getting fed spiritually. We're always getting taken care of. Now, it doesn't say that the heat won't come, but it says we don't have to worry about when the heat comes. So we don't have to worry about when hard times comes our way because we're constantly beginning, getting fed spiritually. And it tells us that we'll be constantly yielding good fruit and being a blessing to others. Matthew chapter 7, verse 17, it says, So even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not good fruit is hewn down and is cast into the fire. So good, tr good fruit comes from good nourishment. And it depends upon what the tree takes in as what it, it will produce. And the same for you in your life. Think about the things that you're bringing into your life. When you're bringing in good and spiritual and honest things, then you will be able to produce the good and, and honest fruit that God has produced us. So how can we be that tree planted by the water producing good fruit? For the rest of the lesson, I want to look at some very practical ways of things that we can put in our life and make sure that we're constantly working on so that we know that we can be that good tree that's planted by the water and producing good fruit. The first thing is prayer. 
making sure we're constantly going to God in prayer. That's in Psalms chapter 116, verse 1 through 4. Beginning in verse 1 says, I love the Lord because He hath heard my voice and my supplications, because He hath inclined His ear unto me. Therefore will I call upon Him as long as I live. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of hell got hold upon me, and I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. The psalmist here is talking about his love for God from hearing his prayers. And God hears your prayers as well. We, need, we take our troubles to him. So I want to look at what should we pray for. We all know that we need to pray. We need to talk to God. Well, what do we pray for? The first thing we pray for is for God's will. When you look at Matthew chapter 26, this is right before Jesus was to go on the cross. He knew what was going to happen. He knew all the pain and the agony and all the suffering that he was going to face on your behalf and my behalf. He knew all the hardships that were about to behold him the next day. This was the night before, and Jesus sent a prayer to God, his Father. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, this is part of his prayer. He says, And he went a little further, talking about Jesus, and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. The first thing we need to be making sure we're praying for is for God's will to be done. Ultimately, we should desire His will to be done. And we know He's going to take care of us. He's always going to give us what we need. So we should pray that His will will be done. The second thing we need to be praying for is making sure we're praying for the kingdom of God, the church, His Christians. In John chapter 17, we have an example. Jesus here is also saying another prayer. And Jesus praying to God is for you and for me. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Jesus is praying for you and I today. When he's talking about praying for all those that believe upon their word, believe upon the apostles' word, that's us. That's us that we read the word, we read the scriptures, and we believe and have obeyed the gospel. Jesus was praying for you and I today. He was praying for unity, that we would all be like-minded, that we would all be one. And he was praying that we would all be sanctified through the word, through the truth. Well, we have the example of Jesus praying for us. That's an example that we should use as well, that we should be praying for the kingdom also. That we're praying for unity and sanctification. Also, we should be praying that the kingdom grows, that other laborers will come and that they would be, be put into the kingdom. That's Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. It says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. We should be praying that the kingdom grows. We should be praying that more workers will enter into his kingdom for this harvest. We also should be praying for one another on an individual basis and on a group basis. Praying for your brothers and sisters. James chapter 5 verse 16 tells us to confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So we've all heard this before, and we know that we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ and strengthening each other and helping each other any way we can. But what really should we pray for for one another? What should we be asking God to do? Well, if you look in Colossians chapter 1, it gives us an example from Paul. Colossians chapter 1, beginning of verse 9, this is, church, this is Paul writing to the church at Colossae. It says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, 
and to desire filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. So here it gives us a lot of different things that Paul was praying for them, and he's praying for us as well, and the example that we can use to pray for our brothers and sisters. When we look at that, it says he, when he was praying, that he prayed that they may have knowledge of his will, that they have wisdom and spiritual understanding, that they be fruitful unto good works. He's praying that they're increasing in knowledge, that they be strengthened in his might, and have all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. There's lots of different things we can be praying for our brothers and sisters, and this is just one example of that. And finally, we make sure that we pray for your concerns, for your own concerns. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Pray for the things that you request. We look up that word careful, that word careful means anxious. So it's telling us to be anxious for nothing. Don't be overly concerned or don't worry about things, especially of this world, but instead lay your supplications at God's feet with thanksgiving. Don't forget about that part. When we're praying to God, be thankful and grateful for the things that he's put in your life and ask your requests. Let your requests be made known unto God. So the things that we should pray for are for God's will. We should pray for the kingdom. We should pray for one another and for your own concerns with thankfulness. The second thing that you can do to be like the tree planted by the water and make sure you're constantly getting good nourishment is meditation. In Psalms chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And Psalms is telling us here that we should, we should meditate, we should think upon these things. <clears throat> now, I want to look at what specifically should we meditate on. You know, there's a lot of times, there's a big movement going on right now. Everybody will tell you that meditation is good, that you should meditate. They don't really tell you what to meditate on. What they really find a quiet place, remove the distractions, and all that's good to do, and just slowly think and ponder. Well, what Psalms is telling us is what to meditate on. And he's telling us to meditate upon the law of the Lord, meditate upon God's word, and what we should do with that. <clears throat> when you look up that word meditate in the Strong's, what we have from the, the concordance there, it means to ponder, to think about these things. When you look up the dictionary uh, version, it says to engage in thought or contemplation. So it's good to go find a quiet place. It's good to remove distractions so that you can ponder, that you can think, that you can contemplate the law of the Lord and His Word. But what He's telling us here in Psalms is to do it all the time. It says, In His law doth He meditate day and night. There's no beginning, there's no end. Constantly be thinking about God's Word. Constantly be thinking about what Jesus did, how He came and He lived His life for you, how He died on the cross for us. Constantly be thinking about these things. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, says, The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You know, there's plenty of studies out there that show meditating can reduce stress, 
can reduce anxiety. It can actually heal you. It can remove depression. It can cure high blood pressure, diabetes, many other physical ailments. That meditation, it can be linked to removing other of these physical ailments. And there's a lot of times we think we live in the greatest country in the world, in America, and everything is peaceful and everything is great. But did you know 72% of Americans reported stress about money at the end of 2018? 72%. We're in one of the greatest economic booms in the entire history of our country. The economy is really doing pretty well. And still 72% reported stress about money when we have way more than everything that we need. You remember we talked at the first of this lesson showing the difference between trusting in the Lord the tree planted by the water and trusting in man, the shrub in the desert. If you're having a little bit of stress about money, you might need to look at where you're putting your trust at. Put your trust back in the Lord. Be that tree planted by the water. And meditation can help remove that stress if you're struggling with that this morning. The third thing to look at for that tree planted by the water is individual study. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, it says, we, also, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You realize that when we open up the word of God, when we open up the book that we call the Bible, that that is the divine word of God. It's not just random writings that men put together and that they all just so happen to harmonize. It's the word of God that they receive from the Holy Ghost. So we know when we spend time with our individual study, we know that God is talking to us through that word. There's many times people out in the world today, they're just waiting for God to give them a sign or waiting for God to reveal his will to them, show them what they need to be doing with their life. All you've got to do is open God is ready to talk to you all the time. It's up to us to open up the book and make sure that we go get it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's a key word in there that I've underlined, and it's thyself. Study to show thyself approved. Nobody can do that for you. There is not any person that can study the word enough to show someone else approved. Can't happen. You have to study to show yourself approved. And when you do that enough, then you will be able to rightly divide the word of truth, meaning you will be able to discern both good and evil, the things that are true, the things that are according to God's will, the things that are not. But it takes time studying. In the end, it's all going to come down to whether you personally do what God's will is or not. It doesn't matter what anybody else does. It's an individual choice. And we need to make sure what we're studying, we're studying diligently. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 says, Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Make certain that the things that you believe are the actual truth. The only way to make sure that the things you believe are according with the truth is to study, to make sure that it matches up with God's Word. Make your calling and election sure by comparing it with the Word of God. We have an example of this in Acts chapter 17. This is the Bereans. This is when Paul and Silas, they were out preaching. They were going from place to place, and they come across this, this place called Berea, and they made sure that they studied. In Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 10, 
says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who, coming thither, went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed, also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men not a few. A few things I want to look at with there. So Paul and Silas, they go to this place in Berea, and they went to the synagogue as customary for Paul. That's usually the first place he went when he went to a new place, and he's preaching. He's preaching about Jesus, and he's comparing that, showing them that Jesus was the Messiah. In verse 11, it talks about the Bereans, and it says, These people were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Do you aspire to be a noble Christian in your life? Do you aspire for God to look at you and say, That person is noble? Well, here's a way how you can do it. Make sure that they, these people were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and here's how. They received the word with all readiness of mind, meaning they had an open mind and they were willing to listen to anything that anybody had to say. And they had confidence that they can listen to anything that anybody had to say because they knew they, they searched the scriptures daily. They're going to receive the word with all readiness of mind and then test what they received against the scriptures because they studied it daily. And then when they believed those things, they matched it up with the scriptures. Then you say, many of them believe and also of honorable women, which were Greeks and men, not of a few. So many of them believed the word of God that Paul was teaching because they searched the scriptures and they knew it matched up to be the truth. Since they studied daily, they could discern both good and evil. And you can as well. If you study daily, you know what the word says. When you hear, uh, you hear somebody preaching, you hear somebody bring you a new idea that you haven't heard of before, you can easily test that against the scriptures and make sure it's true or not. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You know, sometimes we may hear the excuse, Well, I don't know what to study, or I don't know where to begin, or I have no, I've never studied before in my life. And, and that's a fair, fair thing to have. If you've never really studied, sometimes it's hard to know where to begin. But I'm going to give you a really good starting point. Just open the book somewhere and start reading. Right there it says in verse 16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable. All Scripture is profitable. Just open it up and begin somewhere and then that will help direct you on where you need to go next. So that was all about individual study and sometimes it's, it's definitely profitable for us to have group study as well. And one of the group studies is family study habits. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 9, it says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by thy way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between the eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. What he's talking about here in Deuteronomy is making sure that you're teaching your kids diligently to study the Word of God. And you put it in front of them everywhere. So you can see when we have that, you, you talk about it when you're sitting down, when you're walking in your way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You put it as frontlets between your eyes. I mean, it is always in front of you. And this is family study habits that you're studying with your children. You know, I've heard many times that even some parents will say that they don't want to study with their kids or 
that their kids are just not old enough or wise enough yet to, for them to study with them. And I'll tell you that kids know a whole lot more than what you think if you'll give them an opportunity to learn. If you look in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, it says, Then said I, O Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that thou, I shall send thee. Whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Jeremiah was trying to use the excuse he can't go fulfill God's commandment because he was only a child. And God said, Get those excuses out of here. You're not, a, you're not just a child. You're not going alone. So I'm with thee, and you're going to do what I said. Sometimes we need to remember that as parents ourselves. So it doesn't matter what age the kids are, is they still have an opportunity and a, and a duty to learn the Word of God. And it's our responsibility as our parents to teach them. And making sure we're using every opportunity through life that we can bring up God's Word and we can show them examples. And if you really think about it, there's examples all over the place that give you an opportunity to bring up God's Word and to teach your kids about it. Another thing about group study is making sure we're studying with our family or spiritual family, your other brothers and sisters. In the first century church, they did this. Chapter 5, verse 42, it says, And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They did this. The apostles went around. They went to the churches. They went into people's homes, and they taught, and they, they preached about Jesus. And we should do the same thing as well, that we should be spending time with each other in, in others' homes and studying with the word. In Titus chapter 2, it tells us, it says, But speak thou the things which become a sound doctrine, that the aged man be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. The aged women likewise, that, that, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, Chase, keepers at home, obedient to their own husbands, that, their, that the word of God be not blasphemed. It's telling us here that the older should teach the younger. The older men should teach the younger men. The older women should teach the younger women. Now, this is from a Christian family standpoint, that the older men and the older women should teach the younger men and the younger women in the church. They should teach those brothers and sisters in Christ. How better to teach than with biblical examples? Bring out the Word of God. Get in, into each other's homes and make sure we're teaching. And then when we're doing this and we're spending time in group study with each other, it's going to naturally come up as a way to fellowship and spend time that way. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, And they that gladly received His Word, the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now this is at the day of Pentecost. This is when we have... The, the first church became a church at this point. So you had all these different people, these Jews, were gathered at Jerusalem, and they came together, and they really had nothing in common except that they were Jews. But then when they heard the word of God, it says that they were baptized. There was 3,000 of them, 3,000 added to their souls. If you read later on, it says that they, everybody sold everything that they had, and they departed as every man had need. So you can see this instant bond that they had. And one way that they had this bond is that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. They spent time with each other. They made sure that they were studying with each other, they were fellowshipping with each other, just hanging out, having a good time with their brothers and sisters in Christ at that point, and their bond would continue to grow. Then the last thing I want to look at is to make sure that we're constantly feeding our nourishment and making sure that we're going and being that tree planted by the water is by producing good fruit. 
And producing good fruit is by serving others. So Jeremiah teaches us that the tree planted by the water will yield good fruit. When you're doing these things, the prayer, the meditation, the individual and group study, you will be producing good fruit if you choose to do so. So by serving one another, there's many different ways to do it. The first way to do it is by your talents. In Acts chapter 18, verse 3, it says, And because he was of the same craft, talking about Paul, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. Paul's occupation, he was a, a tent maker. This is also with Aquila and Priscilla, that he spent time with them, that they were also his physical, earthly talent. Many of us have physical, earthly talents in other ways. Maybe you're good with math. Maybe you're, maybe you're good with construction or a plumber or electrician. Maybe you're a mechanic. Whatever it is, we all have these physical talents that we can use to help bless and, and use those talents to serve one another. The other way we can serve one another is by our money. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Here in a little bit, we're going to take of the communion, and after we do that communion, we're going to lay by in store a portion that God has, been, has blessed us with. When you really think about your life and when you really study and, and know what the Word of God says, you'll realize that, quite frankly, you don't own anything. There is nothing in this world that, that you own. Everything that you have, God has trusted you to be a good steward with. That word steward means a manager. The manager doesn't, is not the owner. God is the owner. And God trusts you to be the good manager. So what he's saying is as God has prospered you, as he has put more in your care and more in your stewardship, we should so bless others. And one opportunity that you have to bless others is when we come together on the first day of the week. Another is you have an opportunity to bless personally. When you see a need arise from a fellow brother or sister, a saint that, that has a need, you have the opportunity to help them. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Hereby... Perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. What he's telling us here is to make sure when you see someone has a need, do something about it. Take action. Don't just say what you want to say or say that you love someone, but you don't follow it up with action. Make sure that you do something to truly help others. And when we're doing it, we also have to make sure that we keep our heart in check, that we're not doing it out of a way that's in a grudging manner, but it's because we want to do it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. When you have an opportunity to give and there's people that, that they need your help, don't do it in a way that you, you just say, like, well, I heard this lesson the other day, and God said if I don't give, then I'm, then I'm not doing what I need to do. You should genuinely want to help these other people and realize that you're just a manager of everything that God has put in your case, and God loves that cheerful giver. How can you look for opportunities to help one another? Sometimes we can serve others not with our talents or with money, but simply by charitable aid, just helping those that are in need. We have a really good example of this, and this is a Samaritan. Now, when you think about in the Old Testament and in the New Testament a little bit, 
the Samaritans were not people that, that were well looked upon. The Jews didn't like them because basically they were half-breed Jews. They called them the scum of the earth. They really didn't like them. But the Samaritans, we have an example of, of one Samaritan. We commonly refer to him as the good Samaritan. That we look at him and we look at the example that he left and we can use that to apply to our lives as well. And let's look at that in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Luke chapter 10, beginning of verse 30, it says, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And when he went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said to him, Take care of him. Whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, And he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. When you look back at this, you had this man was taken over by thieves. He was beaten half dead. You have two people that walked by and they passed on the other side. You have a priest and you have a Levite. Now, remember, this is Jesus talking here. When you think about the Old Testament, the priest and the Levite, they were considered the holiest people of the holy. The Levites were that group of people that they were the ones to minister among the people from a spiritual standpoint. They were the ones who offered sacrifices. They were the ones that, that went to the temple, those type of things. And the priest was right there with them. The priest was the minister as well. Both of these people, they saw this man that was beaten half dead, they went to the other side of the street, so they didn't have to walk right by him. They didn't have to see him. They didn't have to say anything. So they're just going to avoid him and turn, turn their eyes. And then you have this Samaritan come by. The Samaritan, they picked him up. He took care of him. He dressed his wounds. He took him to an inn. He gave money. He helped any way that he could. And then he said he will return. He would pay back anything else that was necessary. Now Jesus said, for us to go and do thou likewise. When we see people in need, we should look for opportunities that we can give charitable aid and we can help any, any chance that we get. And Jesus said that when we're doing these for our brothers and sisters, it's just like we're doing it for Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 34, it says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom for the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? Or when saw thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Jesus is saying that when we go help our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we see that opportunity to assist others in any form or fashion that we can, it's just like we're doing it to Jesus himself. Now I want you to think about this for a second. If you were to leave this assembly and you go out into this world and you come across Jesus, you come across your Lord and Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ is out there and he needs something. He needs a little bit of help. What are you going to do? 
you're probably going to stop and help him, aren't you? Especially if you knew it was Jesus. What Jesus is telling us is when we do it to the least of these, our brethren, when we do it to the brothers and sisters, even the ones that of low esteem or that maybe from an earthly standpoint, they're just not all that high up. Even when we help those people, our brothers and sisters, it's just like we're doing it to Jesus himself. So look for those opportunities to serve and to help others. And finally, look for opportunities of serving others in the assembly. When we meet here on Sunday mornings upon the first day of the week, make sure that we're looking for opportunities that we can serve our brothers and sisters. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good work, forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more, even as you see the day approaching. You know, there's a lot of times we look at that verse 25, not forsaking the assembly, and we know we don't need to forsake the assembly. We know that when the brothers and sisters in Christ are meeting together upon the first day of the week for the purpose of worshiping God, we need to be here. We know we need to be here. How many times do we look at verse 24 with 25? In verse 24, it says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Here's what this tells me. It's really difficult to provoke unto love and to good works. It's hard to provoke your, your brothers and sisters to do better when you forsake the assembly, when you're not here. When you're here, you have the opportunity to provoke unto love and to good works and to exhort one another. So make sure we're constantly looking for your presence in the assembly is very much a necessity for the kingdom to continue on to grow and for yourself to be like that tree planted by the water. Be here. Look for every opportunity that you can. And finally, not just be here, but participate. Participate in the assembly. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12, Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. What Paul is writing to the Corinth church here is, Seek that you excel to the edifying of the church. Do things so that others will be edified. You know, sometimes we hear people say that they're, they don't want to go to church anymore or to a certain congregation because they just didn't get edified there. They just didn't get anything out of it. Well, the main question to ask is, what did you put into it? Because that's what we really should be looking. When we come to the assembly, we're going to get fed. We're going to get spiritually fed. We're going to get help. But the purpose we should come is so that we can edify others, so that we can worship God in a manner that he wants to be worshiped, and so that others around us can be edified. When you think about the whole body of Christians coming together and their purpose is to edify everyone else, you will be edified. But your main purpose is to edify others. And also in verse 26, it says, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. When we come together in the assembly... All things are supposed to be done to edifying of the other saints that are with you. So how can you edify other saints in the assembly if you're not participating in the service? If you're not at the service or if you're not participating in the service, it's very difficult to edify other people. So when it comes time to sing, sing. When it comes time to pray, pray. Make sure that we're paying attention and that we're participating in the service so that we can edify the other service members that are there with you. So a quick recap of how you can receive this spiritual nourishment and how you can be that tree planted by the water is prayer, meditation, personal and group studies, and finally, service to others. So this morning, we've looked at some very practical ways that we can be like that tree planted by the water. 
And remember, it all boils down to those who put their trust in the Lord will be the tree planted by the water, versus those who put their trust in man will be the shrub in the desert. Now, as Christians, we have a daily choice to make. Are you going to put into practice what you know you need to do? Or will you allow your life, and more importantly, your soul, to wither away and be like that shrub in the desert? We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.